Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Their absolute uncaring, their ungodly attitude toward this woman. It pretty much shut up the mouths of all those that were coming against him. What does verse 17 says? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And then all the multitude was literally released to rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, if the leadership is playing church, guess what? The flock kind of follows. There's not a realness if there's not a trueness within the leadership. We were supposed to be an example, not a perfect example, trust me on that one, but an example. Jesus reserved his strongest warnings for the religious leaders who were always playing church. In the light of this truth, we ought to be very careful about our thoughts, opinions, and attitudes when it comes to how God wants to work in ministry. As we get into the Word with Pastor David, we'll hear how the religious leaders missed the heart of God by the accusations they made about Jesus. If religious leaders misinterpret the goals and intent of God, they will lead many people astray in the church. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Playing Church. I want you to take the message personal. Don't throw it back 200 years to a bunch of Jews on the other side of the world in a little synagogue. Let's bring it right here today. Wouldn't you think that her church would have been excited that God healed her infirmity like that? Wouldn't you think that they would stand up and rejoice and give God the glory? Unfortunately, the nation of Israel, they had their own great infirmity. They were people who were bound by the law, or at least their interpretation of it. And and they were bound by the enemy because of their own unfaithfulness and because of their disobedience to what they knew to be God's commands. They were bowed down to the things of this world, and the ruler of this world kept them in chains as a nation. Israel itself needed to be loosed from her infirmity. But here in the synagogue, there's no rejoicing that this woman is being set free. No, that's not what happened, at least not among the leadership of the synagogue. Verse 14 says, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Did you catch that? This woman had just been healed by the power of God, and he answers with indignation. He answers with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, he bypassed Jesus, and he said to the crowd, there are six days which with men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. We're doing church here. We don't have time for this ministry stuff. We don't have time to minister to the needs of the people because we're too busy doing church stuff. And beloved, that is a great danger of playing church. When playing church becomes more important than being the church. 
administering as a part of the church. So quick to quote the law, but they were so far from the very heart of the law. And they were very, he was very far from the heart of the lawgiver himself. And again, sidestepping Jesus, this air of this pompous self-righteousness that fills this leader of the synagogue. How easy it is to look at what might seem wrong with somebody else and totally miss the wrongs that we're committing ourselves. He had no idea how far he was from God when he made that statement that he made. But Jesus didn't let the man slow him down. As a matter of fact, Jesus now turns his attention directly to the leader of the synagogue. You might want to sidestep Jesus, but Jesus will never allow you to sidestep him. He goes right to the guy. In verse 15, the Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. By the way, that's not a nice word in case you don't understand what the word hypocrite is. You're a fake. You're false. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're playing church. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, think of it for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus gives this man a really common example, probably from the very daily routine of that synagogue leader himself. Probably that very morning before he got dressed in all his regalia to come and take his place of leadership within the synagogue, he probably went out and got the ox or the donkey out of the stall and led it over and gave it water. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Whenever I I read this, I kind of imagine Jesus, even as he's speaking these things, probably looking at the leadership within that synagogue and says, hey, don't you guys lead your ox or your donkey? And he's probably talking to the very ones that led their ox or donkey out that morning. Jesus could do that. He knew the heart and he knew everything about the people that he was speaking to. And as he made that statement, I would imagine, how did he know that I did that this morning? Well, it's a common thing. It's a common, understandable thing. They had more compassion on their livestock, though, than they did on this poor woman. In essence, what he's saying, you care for the animal, but this woman is a daughter of Abraham. I honestly believe that in their own self-focus, in their own coldness of heart, they'd completely forgotten about this woman standing before God. They completely forgot her humanity as well as her place within the household of Israel. She might not have had much standing with this little congregation, but she definitely had a standing before God. This woman was a daughter of Abraham. And when they mention that daughter of Abraham, understand that speaks much more than just being born an Israelite. I believe that this woman truly had a faith in God, truly had a faith and a desire of faith similar to Abraham's. She's a daughter of Abraham. Jesus was really clear about the source of this woman's infirmity, though. He said that Satan has bound her, held her captive for a total of 18 years, unable to break free, and yet with his very word, that very word that morning, Jesus brought her healing and her deliverance all at the same time. What was the reason for her infirmity? We don't know. We have absolutely no idea. But we do know this. Jesus set her free. With his very word, he set her free. Could she have been that way because of some foolishness or sinful act in her past? We don't know. 
But we do know that when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and he delivered her. So how can those within the synagogue be a true part of the kingdom of God and not have the heart of God toward this woman? How can the church really and truly be the church without having the heart of the one who created the church? The synagogue leader was supposed to be the representative of God to this community, but the God he represented wasn't the one who had come into the synagogue that day. It's very apparent that the synagogue leader knew nothing about God, the God he was supposed to exemplify. He was too busy being religious on the outside to ever let the power of Almighty God change him on the inside. He was churched up, as we've said over the last few weeks, but he had no saving relationship with God. And again, as Jesus points out, their absolute uncaring, their ungodly attitude toward this woman, it pretty much shut up the mouths of all those that were coming against him. What does verse 17 says? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And then all the multitude was literally released to rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, if the leadership is playing church, guess what? The flock kind of follows. There's not a realness if there's not a trueness within the leadership who are supposed to be an example. Not a perfect example, trust me on that one, but an example. Then the flock's not going to. And it appears the overburden uh, that this leader of the synagogue had, even the snideness of his remark to the people after he saw this woman delivered, hey, you know what, there's six days, you want to be healed, come during those six days, but don't come in here on the Sabbath. Jesus put him in his place, and the congregation rejoiced. Then Jesus goes on to give two quick parables, examples about the kingdom of God. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. In verse 20, he goes on, and again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Well, it's like leaven or, or yeast, which a woman took, and she hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Well, within these two parables, he gives two word pictures as a description of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In these word pictures, he uses these two illustrations. One, the use of a mustard seed, and the other, the use of leaven or, or yeast, and some see both of them as a, as, a, as a positive picture. Positive picture, first of all, of the visible outward growth of the kingdom, as in that mustard seed, but then also as the invisible inward influence of the kingdom, being the leaven or the yeast. Many take these parables to mean that the kingdom of God is it's growing in such an astounding way that it's even supernatural, even miraculous in its growth. They see that mustard seed and the birds nesting there within the tree as a positive sign of the impact of the kingdom of God in the world today. The church is growing, even exploding in some areas. Many are finding their home and their place of rest in its various branches. And you could think of the branches as Baptists or Assemblies or Nazarene or Presbyterian or a host of non-denominational or interdenominational churches that these branches, several branches out. 
They look at the example of the leaven or the yeast being that invisible work of the gospel being spread throughout the world and the impact that it has in permeating through every tribe, tongue, and nation. God's kingdom being a positive influence on all of mankind all around the world. But there's a few problems with those interpretations. Number one, I think they're both wrong. Let me share with you why. First of all, always remember, the best tool to have for the interpretation of the Bible is what, gang? The Bible itself. Check the Bible with the Bible. That's the best way to go. The Bible will never contradict itself. It's very, very unlikely that there's going to be any contradiction that's even going to be shown. But if there is a contradiction that appears and seems to be, you better back up and look at the context of it because very possibly you're misinterpreting. That's why you've got the contradiction. Secondly, in these statements, actually in this whole section of Scripture that we've been studying for a while, chapter 12 and now on into 13, Jesus is doing this spiritual battle with those who say that they're part of God's kingdom, and yet the fruit of their lives demonstrates something totally different. Remember, we've talked about this week after week, if you've been with it, this whole idea of being churched up, but not really having a relationship with Christ. In this whole section, as well as many others within the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the difficulties and then the narrowness of being a true part of God's kingdom. Here in this passage, down in verse 24, we'll get there in a moment, we're going to read that Jesus speaks that the way into the kingdom is is a narrow gate. And many are trying to find it. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. Down in verse 27, also in passages in in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks that in the end day, many are going to come to him claiming to be a part of his kingdom, but he will declare to them, I tell you, I do not know you or where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, we read those words that at the end days, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Beloved, these are all busy just doing church but they have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The other thing we need to consider is the examples that Jesus used here, the mustard seed and and the yeast. Healthy and normal mustard seed gang does not produce a tree, okay? Mustard seed produces a bush, usually around 24, maybe at the max 36 inches tall. That's the normal, that's the regular. For it to develop into a large tree is not normal. It's actually a perversion of the actual intent. Now, you can go on Wikipedia. You can do Google searches looking for mustard tree, and you'll find these beautiful pictures of these big trees that they call mustard tree. But beloved, it is not mustard. It's not a mustard bush that became a tree. They simply call it that because of its coloring, because of its smell, but it's actually a whole different animal. Then you add to the fact that in that tree, the birds of the air came and made their nest. Well, most often, all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, birds are not good. 
birds are evil. My apologies for all those of you who have canaries and parrots and those kinds of things at home. And neither do we read any positive benefit of the fruitfulness of this particular mustard tree. It doesn't produce anything but branches. A lot of activity, no fruitfulness. What we see then is something that was planted with the intent of being good and fruitful, yet ending up being a perversion and its branches filled with evil. No true fruitfulness. Leaven or yeast, the second example that he uses. Again, leaven or yeast, all throughout Scripture, it's always something that is what? Negative. What does leaven or yeast represent throughout the Scripture? Sin. That's the thing that we see. Why would Jesus use an example known by the Jews to be something very negative to try and bring about a positive influence? And why did he specifically say that this woman hid the leaven within the meal? Once leaven is placed within the meal, guess what? It becomes impossible to remove. You can't get it out. Blends in so well. It's visibly unnoticed, but the results of its presence are soon seen throughout that loaf. Here again, we see a description of something that was not good or positive. It speaks of something infiltrating the church until it's affected all of it and infected all of it. From the core of its being to the outer edges, from the leadership to the most non-committed member, leaven has come into the kingdom of God's work, and that's never good. And beloved, I believe that we see this throughout the world in what is called the visible church. A lot of people busy about doing church, but how many truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How many truly in their life have come to a point of repenting of their sins, declaring their need for a Savior, asking God, beseeching God, pleading with God that He would come, remove their sin, make them whole, make them clean, make them a new person again, that they might know that their sin is forgiven, that they might know that they're a child of God. Beloved, that's what Jesus says that it takes in our lives, not just coming and joining an organization. And the unfortunate thing is I believe that all throughout the world, within churches of every denomination, size, shape, style, every branch, there are way too many that are playing church. Now with that type of understanding about these two parables, we also see the tie-in of these next two verses that Luke shares with us in verse 22. He says, he, Jesus went on through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then he said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. In verse 25, he continues on. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say this. I do not know you or where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We attended the fellowship. We were there when everything was happening. We were, we were there for all the Bible studies. We were there for all the fellowships. But verse 27 says, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. 
Beloved, believe me, these are hard words. These are difficult sayings. These are tough things, not only to be able to, to read and understand, but to be able to share. But they are so definitely, desperately important for the church to hear today that we cannot continue to play church and expect God at the end of the day to say, well, you pretended well enough, I'll let you in. Because to play church is to be dead for eternity. These are people who ate and drank in his presence, and he taught in their streets. Part of the fellowship, part of the ministry of a local church, but they never truly knew Jesus, and Jesus never knew them. Not everything that we see visibly is actually a part of the true kingdom of God. Much of it's a perversion of the truth. It's permeated by sinfulness and the leading of man rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in verse 28 that when the time comes, when all is going to be made plain, every hidden thing is going to be revealed. He says in verse 28, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves being thrust out, They'll come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first. There are first who will be last. He tells these Jews at that point in time, he says, there's coming that day, that time of the great ingathering. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets of the past are going to come, and they'll be there. But those Jews who were filled with the ways of man, they had an empty heart of the things of God, they would not be there. They would be, as Jesus said, they'd be thrust out where they'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he speaks about people coming from the east and the west, from the north and the south, sitting down in the kingdom of God. I believe there he's talking about the Gentiles. Gentiles that would eventually come to faith from every tribe, tongue, and nation. These also will sit down in the kingdom of God, but only those who have true faith and a conversion experience. Jesus did not pull any punches at all with this because he's dealing with the eternal destiny of mankind. He speaks of either being a part of the kingdom of God or not being a part, being in or out. There's no other option. There's no grading curve here. It's either pass or eternally fail with no do-overs allowed. He warns those that put on appearances and yet their heart has never truly changed. They've never had a born-again experience in their lives. He cautions them to make certain that they're prepared. Why? Because as he shared earlier, the master's going to come at a day and a time that you do not know of. Is this a message to the church in general? Absolutely. The church worldwide, most definitely. But what about the church local? What about us here today? What about you sitting where you're sitting right now? We, each one of us, need to fully see, fully understand the full intent of the words of Jesus and the impact of those words in our own lives. Gang, playing church is eternally dangerous. You don't want the consequences of being found to play church when you stand before Jesus. Are you really and truly ready for the master's return? That's my question. That's my concern for each of us. Yeah, this fellowship, but churches in general, are we ready? Are we playing church or have we truly had a born-again experience in our life? 
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.